0: everybody to encounter church glad that you're here today hey shout out for those of you who got some of these uh these care totes this is something we're doing for some of our students because we love you so incredibly much um we just want to show uh give a a way of showing everybody that uh that you're seen and that we love you and hope you got one we do have some more and more coming as well Uh, We're in a series right now called The Last Word, and the idea behind the series is that you can tell a lot about somebody's life by some of the last words that they shared upon their death. Uh, But today, though, uh, today we're using some words, a quote from the founder of the clothing company Patagonia. His name was Yvonne uh, Cholnard, and he said that, that adventure is really misunderstood. It's an overused term. He said, for me, adventure begins... When everything starts to go wrong, and I thought that's a cruel definition of adventure, but, but, but also a helpful one as we dig into our words uh, this morning. And so this morning I want to ask, like, what adventure are you on? And then along with that one, where does your heart go? When everything starts to go wrong, because it, it's going to go somewhere. Where does your heart drift when it goes badly? Or when you become bored or frustrated or discouraged with the adventure, where does your heart go? And for me, uh, an adventure that, that I've had in, in a self-discovery of where it goes when things go wrong, uh, very early on uh, in, in our marriage, my wife and I were going to strike out on an adventure to buy our first vehicle together. And because we didn't have a lot of money, we were were committed to getting the deal of a lifetime. In fact, we were committed to getting a too-good-to-be-true kind of a deal. And and so we found a car by scouring the internet, all of it. We read the whole thing, we got to the bottom, and we found this vehicle in a suburb just outside of Washington, D.C. It's about 11 hours away. And so we rent a car And the plan was to drive 11 hours, buy the new car, drop off the rental car, drive it back. It's like a 24-hour whirlwind of a trip. It was going to be awesome. It was going to be an adventure. And it started off that way. get to the uh, car rental place, and they're like, oh, I'm sorry. Uh, The only car that we have left for you is a two-door sports coupe that's canary yellow. And I'm like, yes. I quickly found out, though, that those cars are not built for long distances. And so that got old. When we got to the place, my first, my first warning that things, things were wrong is that the car lot was a mud puddle. It was all dirt. It had rained previously. And there's just these cars kind of scattered around. And, and the guy who we talked to on the phone the day before is like, oh, yeah, I don't, I don't know where that is. And so he gets the fob out, and he kind of just holds it in the air and does one of these, like, pushing the button, hoping the car responds. We've done it in the parking garage, right? This car doesn't do anything. Because when we finally do track down the car, we realize it needs to be jump-started, not a good sign before a test drive. Every panel had a ding, scratch, dent, or something else wrong with it. Inside of the car, it was like mud all over, and the back of the trunk is just full of leaves and sticks. Hurricane Katrina happened earlier, and we had heard that some of the cars from the Gulf Coast were like being relocated for better resale. And church, I'm telling you, this car looked like it had been a direct hit of a Category 5 storm. (laughs) Just mixed it all up on the golf course and left it there in Virginia, just outside of of D.C. Everything went wrong on that trip. This is before smartphones. I'm on the phone with my brother trying to find a hotel to spend our money on. Our car had to be back at the rental company in like 92 minutes. You know, what what are we going to do? Everything went wrong on that adventure. And I'm telling you, I learned something about where my heart goes when everything goes wrong. I learned something about marriage. I learned something about where my wife's heart goes when everything goes wrong. A question for you this morning is, what adventure are you on? And where does your heart go when everything goes wrong? Some of you are on this adventure of, of self-discovery. You're on this adventure of figuring out like who you really are. Because for a long time, you've always known who you are. You're the smart kid, or you're the athletic one, or you're the nerd, or you're the geek, and geeks and nerds will tell you there's a difference, right? You've always known, and now you're like a semester and a half away from graduation. You're like, I've got no idea. Or you're six years into the job that you've been trained exactly for. But you find it intolerable, and you can't stand it, and now you're wondering, who am I really? And where's my heart going when everything starts to go wrong, when I get discouraged, when I get frustrated, when I get bored? Some of you have had the, the deal where you, you have to care for your parents, and you try to do it in such a way that reflects how they cared for you, how they invested their whole lives into you when you were little and bringing you up, and now you have to do that for them. And it's so hard to, to, to watch as the decline happens, as, as dementia like takes mom away from you, just a bit at a time, a thread at a time, a conversation or a memory at a time. Like What adventure are you on, and where does your heart go when you become discouraged, frustrated, bored, or when things just plain go badly? It's, it's going to go somewhere. It goes somewhere. Choose it or it'll choose you. How many have had the experience, don't, don't raise your hands, you just get home from a day that's it's been a week today. And you get home and you're just tired and you like flop down. And you have this thought in your head like, I need a drink. Or you find yourself like scrolling through Amazon, not really looking for anything in particular, but the voice in your head tells you, I deserve this. Or you can judge other people by throwing away their lives playing video games, but meanwhile you're on like Instagram watching somebody else else live their life instead of building one for yourself. It's the same thing. Where does your heart go? Because your heart will find a way to numb it. Your heart will find a way to laugh again, to love again, to feel something again. Your heart will do something when it becomes bored or frustrated, discouraged, when things go wrong. And so rather than drink, rather than shop, rather than game, rather than watch and scroll, I'd like to offer an alternative. Something else Besides that, we're we're talking about when the adventure goes badly, we're talking about those dark days of our lives. Jesus had one of those. He had a few. We're going to go to the big one. We're going to go to Luke chapter 23 and to hear about Jesus' dark day. It starts off, and we're going to read in verse 44 where it says that "It it was about noon and darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. We talked about some of that darkness last time. I just want us to recognize, it was Jesus' dark day. The adventure had gone bad, had gone wrong. He was discouraged. He was frustrated. He's hanging on the cross. He's being executed. Verse 45, the sun stopped shining, and the curtain of the temple was torn into two. Now, Luke is writing this, and sometimes we we might take this as like a throwaway comment, But, but Luke is intentional. And I think it's interesting that the way Luke writes it is that he couldn't have seen Jesus died and the temple curtain being torn in two at the same time. Two totally different geographic areas. He, he couldn't have watched that. But what Luke tells us in the beginning of his gospel is that he wasn't necessarily an eyewitness to these things. He was the biographer or he was the historian collecting the testimonies of the eyewitnesses. And so he talks to people and they shared with him what had happened. And then he writes those things down in his book, in his biography of Jesus called Luke and Luke writes this down because it is not a throwaway comment. It's a bit tangential to us in our adventure this morning, but I want us to see what Luke saw. And I want you to hear why he thought you needed to experience this. Because for him, for him, the temple curtain wasn't just a curtain that happened to a rip. The temple curtain was one of 13 curtains in the temple. And it was, and it was threaded with blue and red and white and purple... Inside, behind the curtain, was the Holy of Holies, the most holy place. Inside, behind that curtain, was the Ark of the Covenant with the holy things, with Aaron's budding staff, the manna from when the people walked around, wandered around in the wilderness. They had the, the, ten, the, little, the ten Commandments in the Ark of the Covenant. It was like, it was God's box. Angels were carved on top of it, cherubim, because it was meant to signify heaven on earth. Behind the curtain, that was as thick as a man's hand was long. A temple curtain like that doesn't just rip. It doesn't just break out of heaven's hands. That doesn't just happen. Luke is pointing it out because the day that God died, access to God was like broken open. The gap between heaven and earth wasn't so far anymore. Access to God is realized for everybody for the first time. It's like heaven is breaking out. and Luke wants you to know that that's what happened that's what, that's Jesus' death causes that and Luke continues the story heaven's breaking out, the, the temple curtain has been ripped, verse 46 and Jesus called out with a loud voice Father into your hands I commit my spirit or sometimes I entrust my spirit and when he had said this he breathed his last And the centurion, the the soldier, the guard there, seeing what had happened, praised God and said, surely this was a righteous man. I want to make a comment about the centurion in just a minute, but the prayer, those last words, this is our saying for this morning, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. This wasn't the first time that that prayer was prayed. This wasn't the first time Jesus prayed that prayer. Some of you guys have um, children's bedtime stories, maybe. If you were blessed to grow up in a Christian house, you might just remember the prayers that you prayed uh, as a kid. This was one of those prayers for Jesus. Uh, I grew up with a prayer. Many uh, of you have as well. You'd go by the bedside at night and you'd pray a simple one. It rhymes, so it's memorable. Now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. If I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. It's a little dark. We, We can say that, right? Like, we change the words in our house, you know, we change the words to like, Um, Your love will guide me through the night, wake me up with the morning light. A little brighter, a little more positive. Um, We have these prayers, these child bedtime prayers. For Jesus in Psalm 31, verse 5, this is one of those prayers. It came from David. Into your hands I commit my spirit. This is familiar to Jesus. David prayed this word. Only when David wrote the words to that child time prayer that Jewish kids just grew up praying before they went to bed at night, it was a delivery prayer. hit different because when David prayed he could he could see his enemies surrounding him on every side and he's saying God regardless of what my eyes are telling me I'm trusting you into your hands I'm entrusting my spirit he's believing that God is going to get him out of this mess and now Jesus has the exact opposite or does he when he prays a familiar bedtime prayer that he's probably prayed hundreds of times previously, for him, it isn't now a prayer of delivery from death, it's a delivery through death. Because he is trusting that death is never the last word, that there will be life again on the other side. And so, so, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. See me through my own death. And the centurion, he sees what's happening, the soldier, and he's going, this is new? How, how, many, how many crucifixions has he been a part of? How many deaths has he been a part of? Dozens? Hundreds? He was a professional. He knew what he was doing, and he sees everything that happened, and he's going, nothing like this has ever happened before. I've never seen a man go to his death voluntarily. Everybody else Couldn't get out of this. Otherwise, they would have gotten out of this. Everybody else would have taken himself off the cross. But here's a guy who wasn't killed by the Romans. He wasn't killed by the church and spiritual leaders. He wasn't killed by the Jewish people. He died voluntarily. He could have taken himself down. He just chose not to. The centurion notices there's something different about this guy. He dies voluntarily. He dies confidently shouting out into your hands, I commit my spirit. He dies voluntarily. He dies confidently. He dies trusting God. He focuses his eyes on his Father in heaven, not the pain. I think there's a lesson there for us. When the adventure goes badly, when our hearts become discouraged and frustrated, we turn to Jesus who focuses his eyes towards heaven, not the pain. I want to make a a few comments about the words themselves, though of his prayer. Because this is a prayer that I believe is, is going to change our week and month ahead if we get into the rhythm. When our hearts become discouraged, we pray this prayer. The first uh, comment is on the word Father. Remember for last week, if, if you were here or you, you watched last week, Father was like Jesus' trademark way of praying. He introduced that. Every single time he prays or teaches us to pray, he, he prefaces it with the word Father in Aramaic, uh, Abba, just Dad. It implies this, it implies this closeness of, of God at all times. That was, that was Jesus' thing. Nobody else has ever prayed this prayer prefaced that way. Father, closeness. And when Jesus says Father, I just have to believe that some of you just, it doesn't, it doesn't settle well. Because some of you just did not have a good relationship with your dad. And we would be mistaken if we didn't acknowledge that there is so much of our own faith convictions are shaped and formed by the relationship that we have with our, with our earthly dads. And so if you grew up, especially with a, with a detached, with a distant, sometimes a demeaning father, it is hard, and we should acknowledge it is painfully difficult to recognize why Jesus, in his last dying breath, calls out to his dad. But you have to know whose dad he's praying to. You have to know what kind of dad this was. This is a dad who was not detached, who was not distant, who was not demeaning. This is a dad who was consistent. This is a dad who was close. This was a dad who was caring. Again and again, always showing up. I think for those of you, especially who have grew up with a dad, you didn't know who he was going to be from day to day or week to week. I think it would be helpful to hear that you have a father in heaven who loves you? Who loves you more than you love yourself? And some of you, some of you love yourself a lot, and, and that's not really been, been the problem. Other, others of you, it's harder. Others of you don't think you're worth it. Others of you see yourselves as a burden. You see yourself as a drag on everybody else, and you need to hear that you have a father In heaven, who loves you more than you love you. Because his essence is love. God is love. First comment is just father. That's what kind of father you have. One who loves you more than you love yourself. Second comment is a comment on the word trust. While we're talking about dads, trust is hard to come by. Especially when we haven't seen it modeled for us well. So, just dads, or those of you um, who might become a dad at some point. One of the lines somebody shared with me one time, and I just, it was so good. I want to get it right here. Inconsistent fathers produce insecure children. Trust is hard to come by when we haven't seen it modeled for us. The, The word, though, when Jesus cries out father dad into your hands i i trust my spirit the word that he uses for it i just love this it's the word deposit which is such a beautiful word and honestly this is this was new to me Uh, coming across like the concept that jesus uses is like trust or interest or commit in the sense of making a, like, a, like a safety deposit box kind of deposit. I'm taking, Jesus says, my spirit and I'm depositing it into your hands for safekeeping. Because for Jesus, the safest thing he could possibly do with his spirit is to give it away. Is to let it hold on to somebody else. I brought this box from home. It is my Century Safe Model 1160. It came from Aldi, so it's probably not going to be a great sermon illustration for safety but like you get the idea, right? This thing is supposed to be like fireproof, waterproof, bomb-proof. This is the thing in my home that when something happens we get the people out and the rabbit and then uh, maybe and then everything else can like burn down because I know that I have deposited some things in here no matter what's going on inside the house like they'll be fine and so I've got inside of here a few items the first couple things that I don't want passports are very difficult to replace should something happen I found some photos that probably need to get backed up to a cloud that's not safe that that, that should be done and then I have this um, very important papers never throw away (laughs) And because the box came from Aldi, and I don't trust the waterproofing, I, I, like, put them in a Ziploc bag uh, as well. Like, you know, my wife and I were old enough that, um, you know, we existed before the internet, and so we've got, like, her immigration papers and stuff. Like, I don't know how to replace those things. They go inside the box. Because they're safer, aren't they, inside the box than walking around with me throughout the day. What might the Holy Spirit be asking you today to deposit inside the box. That thing that jumped into your mind, trust your instinct. It's probably that. If you're not 100% sure what God might be asking you to de- deposit into his hands into the box, whatever it is that keeps you up at night, whatever it is that you worry about, goes inside the box. God is saying, it's safer in my hands than it is walking around with you. You can trust me. Some of you might hear the voice and nudge of God saying, you belong in the box. All of you. Trust me. Not just with your future, with your finances, with your family, with your little babies. Trust me with yourself. And I've talked to enough of you. And the barrier to that trust is yourself. I've had conversations. I want to get saved. I want to hand my life over to him. Shoot, I even, I see, the, I, I see the, the baptism videos where somebody goes all the way under and all the way up, and I want that. I want to show the world I've been raised with Christ, but the problem is, I know me. And, and, and I know that I've made commitments in the past and have fallen down on those commitments. I, I I know that I've made promises that I have not followed through on, and I've broken so many promises with so many people. I don't want to break another promise with God. So I'm just not going to. But you see, you see, like the issue with that is though, is, is that we're not trusting, we're not trusting that God's securely taking care of the things in the box. The issue behind that thing, though, is this, God, I'm not sure if you're going to see me through. And and, and here's the secret, here's the secret. You're not yours to save through to the end. Saving you through to the end is God's job, not my job. It's not your job. You put yourself in the box. God sees you through. Sees you through life. Sees you through death. Sees you through new life on the other side. That's his job. He perseveres you all the way through the end. It's a beautiful thing. You don't have to worry about seeing your own salvation through. That's God's job. He's got that handled. He tells us in John 10, no one can snatch you out of my hands, not even you and your broken promises. I've got you. Years ago, I took my kids to Niagara Falls. The Canadian side, which is like little kids Las Vegas they've got like Ripley's believe it or not you know the kitschy mini golf mountain thing fire breathing dragon it's amazing we go up to the edge to the to the falls and we just see this water raging it's it's misty and and wet everywhere and I grab onto my kids hands and I honestly I hold them probably tighter than I should have (laughs) why Because they're six and they're eight and they're squirming. And they're going to let go of my hands but I am not going to let go of theirs. Why? Because I'm the dad. They have a dad who loves them and who will not let go of them. You have a father who loves you that you can trust who will not let you go. As a practical matter, I, I'm asked from time to time, what about that parent that's slipping away? They, they've lost their, their ability to, to speak. Dementia has taken that from them, let, let alone confess some kind of faith in the Savior. They look like an entirely different person. I'm telling you, they belong to God. God has sealed them up. It's his job to see them through life in death and the life after. What about my cousin who took her own life? She's God's to seal up, to persevere through the end. What about my child that I never got to meet because he was a stillborn? It's God's. He's God's to seal up through the end, through life, through death. Again to new life on the other side. They belong, we belong, I belong sealed, deposited, entrusted into God's capable hands persevered through the end and no one not even me can snatch myself out of his hands. He's got me. He's got me. There's a, there's a comment here on father, on trust. And he also prays for his spirit, which is, which is really beautiful. And that we need, I, 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 only Jesus could have known how much we needed to hear. I commit my spirit that there's this whole world, there's this whole realm beyond the world that we see, beyond what our eyes can see, what our brains can, can tell is around us. There's a whole reality underneath that reality, the, the spiritual world, that Jesus is aware of. And, and that God is at work within. Sometimes we see and we sing about how we can't see things, so we assume nothing is happening. And, and Jesus clarifies that right now with, with his comment on the spiritual because he's saying there's things at work here that we can't totally see. I, I, this is going to be too much information, but I'm going to tell you anyway. Uh, around my house, I open up all the blinds. Uh, I open up the, the curtains. It's sunny out, like eight days out of the year in Michigan. I'm going to live it up when it happens, right? Let the, let the light come on in. The, the problem with that, though, is that I have a habit of not shutting the curtains and the blinds at nighttime. And so neighbors, neighborhood, people driving by, you're welcome. You can see, you can see in easily, right? Every car that drives by, every neighbor that walks by looking out the window, hey friendo, we're all family now, right? Because at night, especially when all the lights are on inside, I I can't see out at all. It's just darkness. Maybe some glare coming back in. I can't see far out. But you guys know from like walking by or driving by my house, oh, you can see everything inside the house, can't you? And I love that Jesus points out the spiritual world behind the physical world, and it's no less real, maybe even more real. Jesus says you can go to the window at night, And even though you can't see out, even though you can't see hope, even though you can't see God, God can still see you clearly. And he's got you. And while you're waiting around for an answer to come, God is working. You can count on him. Your father, whom you trust, is working in the spiritual world on your behalf all the time. It's so beautiful. Father, trust, spirit, hands. Last one. His hands are big enough to catch you. The hand of God, the hands of God, it's used something like 120 times in the Bible. It's like the biblical authors wanted to say again and again and again, he's got you, his hands are big enough, he'll catch you. It's right around this time of the year when the sun comes out that my eyes start looking at water and and longing for water. And with little kids at home, I can't wait to take them again to the pool because every year it's like introducing them to the concept of a pool and concept of a water that they can jump in and play in and splash in. That's not going to harm them. That's just pure fun. And every year we go to the, the, the pool and most of the time, they're reluctant in, in some way. And so i, I got to be the one to get in first, which is a bummer just all the way around. But I get in, like, waist deep, and I'm like, come on, come on. Especially when they're little. Jump. I'll catch you. I promise I'll catch you. And I'm so close to the edge of the pool that my toes are actually touching the edge. And I'm, like, like over the side of it, and, like, just jump. I'll catch you. I don't think so. And after maybe 10 or 20 or 30 times of like, please, come on, just, I'm frustrated now, jump, I'll catch you. Eventually, they do. Except for it's not so much of a jump because I'm so far like leaned over, it's more so just like a lean and I catch him. And it's so exhilarating and so much fun and the feel of the water on his toes are, are is so enticing and it's so novel every year. He, he swims over to the edge, climbs out of the stairs out of the pool runs around and says do it again do it again back up and so i'll take a step back and he'll jump now into my arms a little further out and then the whole thing will repeat uh, through the water up the stairs to the edge No, no no another step dad another step dad another step dad until i'm way back here running jumping into my arms knowing that he that i'm going to catch him every single time you have a father in heaven Who will catch you every single time? His hands are big enough. The hand of God is with you. He'll catch you when you jump. And I'm telling you, when you jump, it's like addicting. When you know that your father is going to catch you every time, it makes you want to jump further and faster and to deposit more because he'll catch you. He's trustworthy. He's got you. This prayer that we hear, a prayer for the adventure, a prayer for your darkest day. A prayer when everything goes wrong and everything goes badly. A prayer, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. When, when my heart starts to wander, when I get bored, when I get frustrated, when I get discouraged, when it all starts coming around down around me, into your hands, I commit my spirit. But it's not just a prayer for the darkest day. It's not just a prayer for your death. It is a prayer for Your life. When the adventure goes badly and your heart becomes discouraged, pray this week Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. When I am afraid, into your hands. When I am anxious, I commit my spirit. When I am discouraged, into your hands. When I am worried, I commit my spirit. When I have a huge decision that I don't know how I am going to make, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And if you've never handed your life over to His for safekeeping, if you've never handed your life over to Him to see you through life and death and back again to new life, this is your morning. The prayer is as simple as is those few words we've just heard all morning. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit sealed up with you for safekeeping. Church, I invite you to stand up and let's, let's pray together in the room and online every single one of us praying together, God you're at work we don't see it, we don't feel it, but that doesn't mean that you're no less here and that you're no less active. God, make this a prayer, not just on our last dying day or our darkest day, but a prayer we wake up with every morning in our hearts, that whatever the day holds for us, Father, into your hands, I commit my spirit, I trust you. You're a God, a Father who loves us to death and back. And your hands are capable of catching us every single time. Father, I pray for the one. I was thinking about their whole life and turning it over to you. God, I, I pray that you give them the courage to share those words, Father, maybe for the first time. Father, for the first time in a long time, into your hands, I commit my spirit. You are a good and faithful God. You will catch us every time. Amen.